0: So, hey, we're talking about the Beatitudes. Um, We've been in the series for the last maybe four or five weeks, and uh, we're just going to stay in there. There's eight of them until we finish. Uh, I think this is week maybe five. Sound good? So good. Uh, So we've heard, blessed are the poor in spirit, because there is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the... For they will what? Inherit the earth. Look at, man, this is good. And then last week I heard blessed are the righteous. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they will be filled. Wow, hallelujah. Sweet. So today I am bringing blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Uh, you know, if you don't know this as a believer, um, This is kind of a game changer revelation that the central message of Jesus when he came to earth was the kingdom of God. And what I mean by that is there's a culture in heaven. There's a way that heaven operates, lives from, uh, that is coming into our earth more and more. And one day heaven and earth will merge into one and the fullness of the expression of the kingdom will be here in the earth. Jesus was both God and man because he was bridging that and showing us what it was like for the two to become one. And now in you and me, God is living his life through our life to express the kingdom life. So the Beatitudes is Jesus literally opening up the constitution of heaven and saying, yo, guys, you may want to pay attention to this. Because I'm going to give you little cheat codes right now into the ways of heaven, into the life of heaven, into the happy life. We never graduate just the basics of Jesus, which you could spend years in just the Sermon of the Mount, which is Matthew 5, 6, and 7. He ends that whole sermon by saying, anyone who hears the words that I just spoke out of this sermon builds his life on it. You're going to be on a rock He wasn't even talking about all the other words. He was saying just the words in the Sermon on the Mount, if you put your faith in those, believe in those, walk them out by the power of the Holy Spirit, your life is going to be on him, on a rock. That's good news, huh? 2 Corinthians 3.18, Beholding as in a mirror the glory of God, you're being transformed from one degree of glory to another degree of glory. Transformation happens, guys, by beholding the person of God by seeing the face of God. You could spend so much of your life trying to fix yourself, become a better version of yourself, or you could spend a lot of your life just fixating on God. What does the face of God look like? Who is God? A.W. Tozer said, what you believe about God is the most important thing about you because that revelation of who God is will shape your whole life. A lot of parenting is... um, you know, with kids, it's kind of caught, not always taught. So you're teaching your kids things, but a lot of times they just pick up on the culture. So sometimes my kids will talk to one of the kids in a tone, and I'm like, oh, I think they got that tone from me. <laughs> like, Jesus, help me. Um, but we are influenced, all of us, more than we probably would want to admit or we would like You know, I have a part-time job for a guy who's uh, now he's 92 years old. When I started with him, he was in the mid-80s or so. Um, But he kind of had a little bit of an anger issue. You know, he kind of drove his company with a lot of kind of like fear and control. He's a lot healthier version now. All glory to God. Um, But I recognized when I started working with him, I would kind of come home. And the way I was with my kids, the tone, the voice, the voice, I was like, oh, snap, I think boss man is speaking through me right now. You know, it was like affecting me. So let me ask you guys this. What are you beholding today when it comes to the face of God? What are we beholding? Who is God in your life? How do you see him? What attribute is he to you? And today I want to say this to us, guys. The face of God is the face of mercy. It's the face of mercy. And if this world, because, guys, this world's changing rapidly. And the church, the people of God, they don't really care what we believe. We all know that by now. They're really caring, what are the Christians living out, and how are they living it out? And if we're going to be a church that carries the merciful heart of God into highways, byways, into just people in the marketplace, other places, we have to be staring at the face of God. And it has to be a face of mercy, or we will not behold that and reflect that back into earth. See, most of us have a cutoff point when it comes to mercy. Like, we're like, I'll be merciful here. You cut in front of me, my God's merciful. Mercy. You know, someone does us wrong, we're like, man, you're lucky. I'm merciful. And then the circle goes too far, right? And we're like, you're going to get wrath of God in my wrath. All right, somebody, maybe, no, okay. Okay. But guys, our God doesn't have circles that he draws out. He's just merciful to all humans, to all of humanity at all times. I want to say this. I know it's strong language, but I believe that God's most strongest message, if I can say it like that, is the message of mercy. Mercy. The message of mercy from the Old Testament to the New Testament. If you read them across like this, just as a story, you're going to see God's heart being merciful, merciful, and merciful. He doesn't know any other way to be than himself, which is mercy. And when I'm saying the word mercy, I'm talking about there's a tenderness in him. There's a compassion to that mercy. There's a heart that's open. In Latin, the word mercy, messe cardia, sorry if someone knows Latin, probably not saying that right. It means opening one's heart to wretchedness. Oh, isn't that good? Opening one's heart to wretchedness. That our God has a heart that's open to my wretchedness at times, to yours, to humanities. In the Greek, the word carries with it a compassion of God for our mistakes and our failures. I think if we're honest, guys, most of us struggle with our own stuff, with our own wretchedness, that our God can actually love us despite whatever we don't like about ourselves or behavior we have about ourselves. Guys, think about your worst moments. Don't think about them long. Your greatest regrets. Do you see a tender God, a merciful God in that place? Not judging you, not pushing you away, not asking you to clean up your act before he can be merciful to you. But do you have a God of mercy in the midst of your mistakes, your failures, and your shortcomings? And unless we have a lens for mercy through the cross of Christ, we're going to live a very unstable life with God. Because we're not going to be aware, we're not going to be sure, how is God responding to me right now in this moment? He probably loves me a lot when I'm doing well. But when I'm not doing so hot, is his love changing? Is his tenderness changing? Is his heart opening to me changing? We're not sure. amazing about Jesus is he embodied not only the kingdom he embodied everything about the kingdom he embodied what mercy looked like when someone has last words you know if you've ever been by someone who's dying last words are pretty important right you kind of like lean in you're like what did he say what did they say I've only had that one time happen when I was by someone's bed. Jesus had last words from the cross. Some of them were this. In the midst of being crucified, beaten, you know, taking our place, the innocent one, becoming a guilty one, he literally says, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. Did somebody hear that? Father, forgive them. I'm pretty sure they knew what they were doing, Jesus. He's like, but they really don't know who they are or they would never have done this in the first place. And then he's on the cross and there's one thief here and another here. And if you were crucified in those days, you've done something really bad, like really bad. And one of them's kind of mocking him. The other one just says this. When you go into paradise, Jesus, remember me. He doesn't confess his sins. He doesn't repent. He doesn't try to, like, plead his case. He just says, when you go into paradise, would you remember me? Jesus, this day you'll be with me in paradise. I mean, gosh, the mercy of God. Seconds, you're with me. Paradise. What about what that guy did? All the stuff he's committed. Jesus is like, he wants paradise. He's going to have paradise. Jesus in Matthew 9 talking to the Pharisees. Pharisees love to keep the rules. Pharisees love to make sure everyone's living to a certain standard. They like that sacrifice stuff, you know. Go sacrifice more animals so you can work your way to heaven. Jesus tells the Pharisees, he says, Go and learn. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Guys, do you understand that? There's only like two places in scripture. Jesus is like, learn of me. I'm gentle and humble in heart. And then again, learn. What are we learning, Jesus? Mercy. He knows that we struggle with mercy. He knows we want justice. But biblical justice is, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. What about the parable of the prodigal son? Man, that's the best picture in my view of who God is and what he's like in the whole Bible. The prodigal son, in that culture, that was the most dishonoring thing you could have possibly done. To ask for your father's inheritance before he's dead. And the father gives it to him, half of it, because he had two, two sons. And he squanders it all. Loses it all in loose living, women, other things. Returns back to dad. Dad sees him at a distance, runs at him, grabs him. Doesn't ask for an apology. Doesn't say where you been. Doesn't come down hard on him. Holds him. And and puts a robe on him. Puts the ring back on him. Tells his older brother, "Your your, your brother was lost. Now he's been found." He was dead now he's alive. I mean, do you understand the tenderness and God to show us a picture of what God is like in the midst of our failures and shortcomings that he's literally coming at you. He's not pushing you away. So many stories in the Bible, guys. It's ridiculous. The woman caught in adultery. The woman is caught literally having sex outside of marriage. I don't know if they dragged her into the city butt naked with a robe on or what. But the law says kill her, stone her, let's go for it. That's what everyone wants to do. Jesus, what do you think we should do? You got to love Jesus. If you don't love Jesus and the way he operates, like, come on, guys. He's literally on the ground and he's like, that's just sketch time. I don't know what. We don't know. Maybe when we get to heaven, we're like, that's what you were drawing? That's sick. You know, or he put some word. I don't know. But he's on the ground, like, fiddling with sand. And they're like, what do you think? He's like, he's without sin. Go ahead, throw a stone, kill her. And it says, from the oldest to the youngest, from wisdom to youthful zeal, they depart. And then he goes to her. I don't condemn you either. Go, sin no more. Be free. Mercy. Guys, until we learn mercy, we will put ourselves in the place of judge. We will. We will evidently put ourselves up here and determine who's right, who's wrong, and I will be the judge to determine this. I want to say this as loud as I can. You cannot exhaust the mercy of God. And then someone needs to hear that. You cannot sin enough, do wrong enough, mess up enough to exhaust God's mercy in your life. And sometimes people get scared when you preach like that because they're like, well, they'll just go abuse it, Jason. If they do that, they don't know the mercy. They don't know the actual heart of God. Because once you touch the heart of God like that woman caught in adultery or the prodigal son, your heart belongs to him. That's what makes him beautiful. That's what draws you to him. You see his tenderness. You see how he handled you in your worst moments. So unlike I would handle myself, he handles me with love and gentleness and tenderness. Psalms 23. Goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life if you behave perfectly. What a great translation. But isn't that the translation most of us have? That goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life if we be, you know, act right, live correctly, do everything the law says. And I'm sorry, and I say this from my heart, and I'm sorry for even my kids where I have not modeled this myself, but like some of us were parented that way. And as the result, you are fighting getting the face of your parents off of the face of God. Because that's how you were parented. And so you think God is like your parent, and he's nothing like your parent. I don't care how good of a mom or a dad you had. He's far greater than that. And let's not even get into the teaching in most churches because I can't even go there, and I love the church, so we'll just, period. Hardest thing about mercy is receiving mercy. It's hard for us to receive. I said it earlier, but it's easy to receive the love of God, the tenderness of God. He's for me. I favor when we're doing well. The way you know if you understand the mercy of God is tell me how you're doing When you're making mistakes, when you're not living up to the standard you want to, when you're choosing stupidity, are you able to come back to a face of mercy? That's how you know if God's merciful in your life. I think some of us have God like the prodigal brother. Remember the story of the prodigal brother in that that whole thing? He was pissed. He was like, why would you do that? I've been just the loyal son to you. You never thrown a party for me. You never gone on out for me. I think some of us think that's how our God is sometimes. Judging us, condemning us, live up to this standard, then I can, you know, bless your life. It's easy to make God in your own image. It's easy to make him like an authority figure. We're blessed. And this is why Paul was asking for the church in Ephesus. Give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation, the knowledge of who you are. We need to know you, God. We need real revelation, real understanding of what you are like. Because without that, we make God in our own image. You, know, you guys know John three sixteen? Come on, good Christians. God so loved the world, he just he loves this world. You know, anyone got John three seventeen down? Still at the mouth of Jesus. Jesus said, "I didn't come to condemn the world; I came to save it." That doesn't always seem like the Jesus that's out there, huh? That's Jesus' words. I didn't come to condemn this world. I actually came to sozo it to save this whole thing, to bring wholeness and health back into earth that was lost in the garden. Guys, the death of Jesus on the cross was the forever verdict that your past, your present, and your future sins have been forgiven. Don't tell sinning. I gonna say it again. The death of Jesus on the cross was your fore- the forever verdict that your past, your present, and your future sins have been forgiven. Guys, even when we were yet sinners, when you wanted nothing to do with him, it says in Romans 5, 8, Christ dies for you. Christ dies for you. He forgave me before I ever asked for forgiveness. That is some good news. That's why I always say, guys, there's a seat at the table for everyone. And I'm not saying everyone's taking the seat at the table, but there is a seat at the table that says you're forgiven, you're innocent, you're white as snow, and there's mercy for you at that table. And it's our job as believers to invite everyone to the table. To say all can come. He's already paid for it in full. You're already loved. You're already forgiven. He already sees you and your new nature and who you're supposed to be. Sounds like good news, huh? I know. How shocking. Good news in the church? What the heck? I know, it's crazy. In Luke 7, Jesus is with his boys. And this prostitute is there. And she's literally, I've never cried this much, but she's cried enough to literally wash the feet of Jesus. And it says she's using her hair to wipe his feet. Why? She connected with who this man is and the mercy that's over her life. And Jesus says in front of everyone, her, this woman, she's going to love much. Because she's been forgiven much. And those who've been forgiven little will love little. This is why it's important that you understand how merciful God has been to your life and my life to make us white as snow and forgive us of the past, the present, and the future. Because it will well up love for him. You don't have to have a wild, crazy story to see the mercy of God. You just have to recognize this is who he always is in your life. He's going to be merciful. He's going to be tender. He's going to be forgiving. He may not be like us. Hmm. It's hard to give what you don't have, huh? You're like, i love to give you like $5,000, but I have $50. I can't give you that. You know what I mean? You can't give what you don't have, right? How could we give mercy if we don't understand mercy? How could we be blessed are the merciful if we don't even know how to receive God's mercy in our own life? Something I've been saying to myself in the midst of my bad parenting moments, other stupidity, lack of kindness, fill in the blank, just get in a place with God and I just say, more love, not less love. More mercy, not less mercy. More forgiveness, not less forgiveness. Guys, because it's in those moments that I need more of God's love, not less of his love. I need more of his mercy, not less of the mercy. I need more forgiveness, not less forgiveness. And for years, especially my early years in the Lord, I would put myself in the penalty box. I would bench myself. I would feel like I need to do stuff to get back to this place with God. And I'm just in a season of life that I realize the thing that changes us is the love of God, the mercy of God, the tenderness of God, going back there as quick as possible and not just playing this game with the accuser of the brethren where he could just wham, wham, wham. Because he has hard evidence on you. It's either the cross was enough or it wasn't, right? Either what Jesus did 2,000 years ago was like paid in full or it wasn't. I don't know. You can try to earn this thing with Jesus or you can receive it by faith. He's giving you a gift of righteousness or you can try to like package it up and get righteousness and be like, I'm opening a gift that I made for myself. It's like, what is that? That's ugly. I had a beautiful thing for you. Guys, our culture is, it's not the culture of heaven. Because our culture will say you only get what you deserve, right? But that's not the culture of God, where you got to work for everything. I had a friend uh, that I met 20 years ago at the rescue mission. It's a place for drug and alcohol. I kind of did, I was going to say I did time there. No, I mean, I spent time there for like a year um, or so. But this friend of mine, uh, you know, he had a pornography problem that drifted into children pornography and, you know, California don't mess around. So he had three strikes on him different times. He got caught with child porn on his computer and stuff. So he's doing 25 years in prison. Um, And I talked to him about twice a month, you know, and I'll tell you this. This guy loves Jesus more than he did 20 years ago. Even more than he did five years ago when he went in. Why? Because he's receiving more love, not less love. More mercy, not less mercy. More forgiveness, not less forgiveness. And that is what transforms him, and that's what changes him, and that's why when we talk, all we talk about is Jesus, and we pray together, and he's excited about God because he's touching the mercy of God. I know I don't deserve this. Look where I'm at, but God loves me in this place. I'm a freeze, can be in this place. (laughs) Come on, God. Oh, man. You know, there's a lot of ways that we are like God, you know, and the fruit of the Spirit that flows out of us, God's fruit, but it's still the fruit of the Spirit, the ways that we can operate, that Jesus operated. But I'll say this, there's one way that we are not like God, and it's in the place of forgiveness, Because both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, it says this about God when it comes to forgiveness. Your sins and your lawless deeds, I remember no more. I remember no more. God actually has a gift that we don't have to forget sin. I don't try to understand it. I'm just telling you what the word of God says. Guys, somebody, I know it's a little warm. Did you hear this? Your sins, your lawless deeds, I remember no more. People live their whole life plagued with things they've done from years back. And then they bring it up to God, and he's like, what are you talking about? Well, you know, what are you ta- come on, God, da, da, da. and God's like, I don't remember. Guys, this is Jeremiah 31, this is Hebrews 8, this is Hebrews 10. He's saying your sins and your lawless deeds, I remember no more. Our God has a gift we don't have that he forgets our sins. We keep track of our sins and the sins around us. And God's like, I don't keep track of any. I'm just a forgetting God. (laughs) That's such good news. That's like the happiest news. That you don't have to carry around guilt and shame and wondering, what does God think of me? You just go back and be like, God, I love you. Thank you that you forgave me for everything from the past, the present, and even the future. Guys, the face of God is the face of mercy. There's no punishment with God. There's no debt to be paid anymore. This is what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. Wow. Let me show you guys something. A little visual. Any artists in here? I graduated college, but I took art history three times. Flunked it the first two times. Just gonna be straight up. Do not do art history. But, Rembrandt, is that how you say it? Come on, some art majors in here? Nope. I clearly didn't do uh, architect school either. Okay. Is that Sane? Thanks, Ben. I love this painting. I really do. I'm sorry if you can't see it up close, but it's the prodigal son story. And it's the father here, which is deep compassion for his son. This is the older brother, kind of in a place of like envy, in a place of, like, probably frustration that the father's restoring him. And then, you know, there's a few other people there just kind of observing this moment that the two of them are having. We're all in this story, if you don't know that, right? We're all in this story. But I want to ask you today, what son are you more like? The younger one, doing your own thing, running from God, in need of mercy? Um, Or are you more like kind of the the older one, who's a bit self-righteous, and how much mercy should be given when people make mistakes? Or are we like the father. And let me tell you this, that's the place he's taking all of us is that we would be like the father. But I think if we're honest guys, we're both sons. <laughs> we're running from God at times, doing our own thing in need of mercy. And then we're like the other the the you know, the prodigal son's uh brother where it's like dude, what the frick? People need to pay for that. Yeah, we're jealous. People get favor, and we don't. It's easy to judge. It's hard to love. I tell my uh, five-year-old Zoe, just two things. She's five, right? Just ask her two things to do after breakfast, two things to do after dinner. That's it. I'm not trying to overwhelm her. She's five. Zoe, after breakfast, brush your hair, get dressed. Zoe, after dinner, get dressed, brush your teeth. It's pretty simple. She can't remember to do these things a lot of times or chooses not to. So I told her this week, I said, Zoe, I'm going to have to give you a little spanking. Sorry. I'm old covenant, I guess. Um, (laughs) Love the book of Proverbs. Proverbs. Not talking me out of it. Um, some kids are very tender-hearted, It's always one of those. A spanking looks like this with a glue stick, very gentle tap. One of my kids, not going to use names at her age, laughed at me when I spanked them. I'm like, "You a different breed." <laughs> kids come different. It's really wild. Most of my kids, honestly, though, I've had to not spank because God's like, you can't do it in love, you're doing it in anger. So I usually lose spanking them around like four or five, but my two youngest right now, I got it. So God, keep me in the right lane. Um, But this week, when I told Zoe that I'm going to have to spank you, she goes, Dad, do not spank me. Mercy. And I was like, I was like, and then she's like, I'm like, how much? She's like, Mercy, 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 mercy. She just like keeps going I'm like, okay, I get it. So nothing but mercy. She's like, yes. <laughs> I'm like, all right, this girl's got it. She has me around her fingers, so she can probably get a lot of mercy. Um, but guys, blessed are the merciful, they will receive mercy. Guys, out of my seven kids though, the one that receives the most mercy is Zoe. Who's the most merciful in our family out of my kids? Zoe. You saw the video week one, right? What was that about? Do you remember that? She was sticking up for hope. You better give hope mercy. Isaac does things wrong. She's like, mercy for Isaac, dad. Don't, don't spank him. She t- tells on Jojo, she's like, but don't get her in trouble. Don't give her an extra chore for that. I just want to let you know. You know, it's just like. It's just she, like, pleads mercy. Serious. I don't know how to grow in mercy, I'll tell you, but I see it in Zoe, and I recognize, too, like, the more that I connect with God who's merciful, the more mercy flows from me. And that's why we have to see the face of God as a face of mercy. Amen, Amen, amen? All right, so don't forget, guys, when you mess up, Your God wants to hug you. He doesn't want to judge you. Yes? God? Yep, that's what I wanted. Thank you. God? Thank you that you want to hug us and you don't want to judge us. Help us to embrace your hug this week. Amen. Good times.